We are now in week two of our new summer series, Summer School with Jesus, where we're looking at some of the great teachings, some of the great commands that Jesus gives us throughout the Gospels. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open it up. We're going to be looking at the Gospel reading that Pastor Don just read. We'll be spending some time looking at some of the chapters or verses before this reading. So open up your Bibles as we dive into what I will call both a teaching and a command of Jesus Christ. It's a command because he really doesn't leave us any wiggle room to get out of it. He says, pray this way. But it's a teaching because he shows us the great need that exists in the kingdom of God for workers to work the harvest. And really the key to understanding this, the very first thing that we see as to why Jesus would ask us and to be so bold to to make this a command is that word compassion. Look at verse 36. It says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now in the English, this word is a nice word. It means that you see something that is unjust, you see a person in a dire situation, and you feel something for them. You have some empathy for them. And in the English, it means that you could act compassionately for that person, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will. It's just an emotion that we say when you see something wrong, you have compassion. But this word that Jesus is using is a word that really has to do with the ancient Far East understanding of emotion. In the ancient Far East, unlike the West, the seat of emotion for us is our heart, and we we feel it in our heart. For the ancient Far East, it was your belly, it was your stomach. And this word compassion literally means filled with pity. It's as if Jesus looks out at the crowd and his stomach aches because he has so much empathy for them. He feels so sorry for them. We might ask ourselves, well, why? What is causing Jesus to have this this strong emotional reaction where he would feel it, fill it in his gut? Well, it says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And to understand those two uh, descriptions, first of all, harassed, jump back with me to chapter 9, verse 32. Jesus had been going on what we might call a modern-day revival tour. He's going from town to town. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's doing all these good deeds. He's healing people along the way. And the very last one that he heals is a man who was demon-possessed. He's possessed by a demon. He cannot speak. He's mute. Jesus casts out the demon. And look at the reaction of the crowd. They say, never has anything like this been seen in Israel before. They are amazed that Jesus has the authority, that Jesus has the power to cast out demons. But look at the Pharisees' reaction. Verse 34 says this, but the Pharisees said, these are the religious leaders, the the pastors of the day, the, the shepherds. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. You see the difference in reaction. The crowds have great faith. They say, wow, this has never been done before. This is a miracle. This is amazing. The religious leaders, the ones who have been tasked to care for the spiritual well-being of the people, they are filled with anger and disgust, and they say, no, it's by demons he's casting out demons. He's demon-possessed. They are absolutely void of faith that Jesus has the authority and that Jesus has the power. And so Jesus has compassion on the crowd because he says they are harassed by false teachers. They are harassed by these supposed shepherds who are not doing their job, who have put an unjust burden of the law upon their hearts, and he feels sorry for the people. They don't have good pastors. They don't have good shepherds. That's the first one. Then it says that 
the people were helpless. What's he talking about here? Well, uh, let's jump back to the very beginning of chapter 9. And we see some of the miracles, some of the acts of justice that Jesus performs along the way. Uh, First of all, he heals a man who was paralyzed. And we get the longer version of this account in Mark's gospel. This is the story where uh, Jesus is teaching in a house and there's this man, he's paralyzed. His friends bring him to Jesus. They've heard that Jesus can do these awesome things. And they go to the house. It's absolutely jam-packed. There's no way to get to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof. They dig a hole in the thatch of the roof and they, they drop, well, they don't drop him. They lower him gently, this poor man, so that Jesus can lay his hands on him, so that Jesus can heal him. Then Jesus moves on and he meets a man named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors in those days were hated by the Jewish people. They were seen as uh, uh, being part of the occupation of the Roman Empire. And many tax collectors took some money off the top. And so not only did they get rich by their nice government salary, they also got rich by taking from the people. And so tax collectors were shunned. They were hated by the Jewish people. They were isolated. And Jesus, despite this, knowing this, actually calls this man Matthew to be his follower. And then he goes on to the next town. And look at verse 18. There's two miracles that happen here. First, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And in those days, if you were a Jewish person, uh, she would not have been able to enter the temple. So she could not receive forgiveness of sins. She could not attend a Passover event. Very likely she wasn't married because, because of her bleeding, the husband would be seen unclean. This is a very isolated, this is a very devastated woman, and Jesus heals her on his way to heal uh, and raise to life a young girl who had just died. And then he goes on to the next town, and there's two blind men. Jesus heals them, and then one last one we just read about, the man who was demon-possessed, unable to speak. Jesus goes, and he heals all these people. Now, in those days, can you imagine? No modern medicine. There's no Medicaid. There's no government support. These are desperate, physically desperate people. And you might think that this is why Jesus calls them helpless. But as we dive deeper into the text, you see there's something even more important to Jesus than their physical healing. Let's jump back to chapter 9, verse 2. After he heals this paralytic, or right before, he says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then jump ahead to verse 12 and 13. When he's talking to all the, ta- all the Pharisees, all the religious leaders who are angry that he's called this great sinner named Matthew to follow him, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And then we jump ahead to verse 22. Jesus turns to the woman who's been bleeding and he says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then one last example, look at 29. When he touched the eyes of the blind men, he said this, according to your faith, be it done to you. And the two men, they can see their sight has been restored. And you see what Jesus is concerned about. Yes, he cares for your physical well-being, but what his heart is all about, what he's most passionate about is that you would know that you have one in heaven who loves you with an unquenchable love. And he wants you to know, he wants them to know that their sins are forgiven, that Jesus actually has come to earth to do this great work, to, to forgive us, to free us, to win for us eternal life, our salvation, yes, but also that you could be free of the shame that you experience. 
when you sin for the thousandth time and you ask God for forgiveness for the thousandth time that you would know you have one in Jesus Christ who loves you, who forgives you, and who would do anything to be in relationship with you. And that is why Jesus looked out at the crowd and he had such an overwhelming compassion for them because they didn't know. They were hopeless. They were clueless to the love that God had for them and it broke him. So he says to his disciples and he says to us today, the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. It's compassion that Jesus would give us this great command. It's compassion for his people that that don't know him. It's compassion for those who are far from him that he would ask us, invite us into this relationship and say, look, we've got to pray. You have to pray. It's so vitally important that you partner with me so that we can send out people so they can hear the good news. And I want to share something with you. Many of you have seen these stats before. But the need is so great. In 1958, it was what's called the golden age of Christianity in America. It was the peak of Christianity. There were over 90% of Americans who said that they attended a church and belonged to a church in 1958. Well, since then, there's been a great decline. Many of you know this, but the Episcopal Church USA uh, has gone from 3.4 million members to 1.2 million members today. Another mainline Denomination Presbyterian Church has gone from 4.25 million to 1.25 million. A sister church to ours, it's called the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. They are saying, this is from them, uh, their denominational head is saying that by 2050, there are only going to be 30,000 members left in this church body. This is a church body that had 9 million members in the 1970s. Our church body, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, this is the part of the denomination that we belong to here, has gone from 3.2 million to 1.8 million, but the average age of an LCMS member is 55 years old. And when it comes to shepherds, when it comes to laborers in the field, there's 6,000 pastors currently in the LCMS, but in the next 10 to 15 years, 3,000 of them Half of our pastoral force are eligible for retirement. That means that we're looking at a 3,000 pastor shortage in the next 10 to 15 years, and we need 400 candidates at both of our seminaries to meet that need. Last year, we graduated 134 at both seminaries. Now, Pastor Don, how many were in your class when you graduated seminary? Hundred and thirty in one class at one seminary. And we had fifty-four signed up at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. It's a seminary that I went to, a seminary that uh, I actually worked for part-time recruiting because of this great need. And in fact, I forgot to mention this, I'm realizing this. Beginning of the service. Pastor Nate's not here because he's filling in at a church in the springs who's been looking for a pastor for two years, cannot fill that position. They've had three decline calls, and they're just desperate to have somebody preach the gospel and share the sacrament. Since we've got three pastors. Pastor Nate was nice enough to go down there and to preach a sermon and to share the sacrament. You see, my friends, the need is so, so great. And we have to ask ourselves, why? You know, how do we get ourselves into this situation? And I think it has something to do with what I'll call consumerism. Now listen, I don't want to ruffle any feathers here this morning. Hear me when I say this. I love capitalism. 
I love consumerism. We wouldn't have this wonderful building. We wouldn't have the ability to send people on mission trips. You're going to hear from that in the 930 hour, some of our mission trips that we send out. I wouldn't have a salary or a retirement package. So yes, thank you for consumerism. What I don't like about consumerism is how it's impacted, though, and infiltrated our thinking about church. And here's what I mean. If you've ever written a check and you've given money to a church and you've said in your heart when something doesn't go the way you want, you say, well, listen, I've given all this money to the church. Why hasn't the church done this? And why aren't the pastors doing that? And why isn't the youth program doing what I want the youth program to do or the kids' ministry doing what I want the kids' ministry to do? You see, that's consumerism. When we think of the church as a transaction and if I write a check, well, then I'm supposed to be given something in return. This is not the analogy that Jesus gives us in Scripture. He doesn't use an analogy of consumerism. He uses an analogy of production. He uses a farming analogy. And it reminded me as I was thinking about my very first job. I grew up in Nebraska, uh, moved here in 1988, but my very first job was detasseling corn. It is the absolute worst job in the entire country. I guarantee you, you get up at 4 a.m., you're walking through corn, it's cutting your arms, you're getting bit by mosquitoes, it's always dewy and wet, so your clothes are filthy, and your clothes are wet, and then you get done with the long days of work, and they hand you a shiny dollar bill. Here you go, sonny boy, thanks for doing my job. It's horrible. But it's production. You see, without taking off the tassels of the corn, you wouldn't have the wonderful sweet corn that we enjoy during the summertime, and it's needed. Somebody has to work the field. Somebody is needed to produce, or else we would not eat. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying for us today, is that we don't come to church to just consume. You know, we've added, I think, 600 members in the last 10 years. It's been incredible. We've had wonderful growth, and we are glad you're here. But at the same time, what we often hear when people join our churches, they say, look, I'm leaving my church because I'm not getting fed anymore. I, I'm just not getting fed. And I come to this church because I'm getting fed. I'm getting spiritually fed. And it's a wonderful thing. And we're glad that you're getting fed. And we want our sermons to be dynamic. We want our worship to be inspiring and emotionally invigorating. We want all these things. We want our kids' ministry to be the best. We want our youth ministry. Nothing wrong with that. But I hope you noticed our mission statement when you signed up to join our Father Lutheran Church because it is not just to know extraordinary life in Christ. It's to know and thank you. See, our Father Lutheran Church is not an all-you-can-eat buffet where you just come and you eat and you eat and you eat and you eat and then you just go home fat and happy. No, my friends, do you see the need that we have in our society? your neighbors that don't know Jesus, your family members that don't know Jesus, your coworkers that don't know Jesus. Look at the world around us and how it is changing and the anger and the anxiety and the sadness that we see. The gospel can fix all of those things. And so Jesus says this great command, he gives us this great teaching to ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest because it's so ripe and it's so needed. Now, it is true that not all of you are called to be pastors. It is true that not all of you are called to be directors of Christian education. This is Cassie Schoenbeck, our director of faith development. This is Courtney Limmer, our director of student ministries. This is Karen Meisner, our director of kids ministry. Try saying course, I can't even say it. Cassie, Courtney, Karen, three times fast. Can't do it. But you are called into this great work of sharing. Let's end with this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Paul outlines for us what this looks like. 
the role that we can play, the role that God's called us to, yes, to pray, but also to proclaim. He says in verse eight, what does the word say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the formula. This is how God does it. He sends out the word. You hear it. You receive it in your heart. The Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. It pounds the gospel into your heart and you have come to faith either through the proclamation and hearing of the word or at your baptism, the moment in time when God claimed you as his own, you and he are good because somebody is out there proclaiming the gospel. And then jump with me to verse 14. He leaves us this very thought-provoking idea. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and underline this part, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now I look at my feet, and I go, they are ugly. I hate feet, I hate toenails, it's a disgusting image for me. But this is how God redeems it. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's like going in and seeing the most beautiful piece of art you've ever seen in any museum ever. When someone shares with you the gospel and somebody hears the gospel, somebody receives the gospel and becomes a Christian and knows in their heart that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, how beautiful is that work, God says. And you see, as you walk out this place, we have maybe 200, 250 beautiful feet walking out of this sanctuary going to a restaurant, going to the gym, going to a neighborhood barbecue party, going to work on Monday, going to a soccer tournament. Beautiful feet, Jesus says, are those who share the gospel. So I'd like to leave us with this. Three things. It is true, not all of us are called to be pastors, not all of us are called to be DCEs. We need Lutheran school teachers, we need Lutheran school principals, we need directors of worship like Emily Leeds, But not all of you are called to that. What are you called to do? I want to invite us to think of this. Can you pray? That's a very hushed crowd. Can you pray? Oh, thank God. Don, since you've left, it's gone downhill. We can't even pray. Yes, you can pray. And what if we all did this? Matthew 9.38 says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. What if we all set an alarm on our clock at 9.38 a.m., or if you're a p.m. person, 9.38 p.m. If you're a real ambitious person, you can do p.m. and a.m., and the alarm goes off on your phone. Oh, it reminds me, yes, Lord, would you please send laborers out into the harvest? Would you raise up men and women to be church workers in your church? Can we do that? It's easy. Can you encourage you know, I think of Barnabas in the book of Acts. His name means encourager. And he would walk alongside people and he would encourage them. He would affirm them and he would help them understand the gifts that God had given them. Is there anyone in this congregation that you think has a gift to be a pastor or a DCE or a teacher or a director of worship? Is there anyone that you know? If so, encourage them. Walk beside them. You know, for 10 years, people told me I should be a pastor. And I said, No. In the Greek, it's, I think. (laughs) But they encouraged me, and they told me, they said, you should be a pastor. And finally, I said, fine, God, I'll do it. It was a little nicer than that, but you get the point. 
And before that, when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, people said, Micah, you should be a, you should be a youth leader. You should be a pastor. People encouraged me. Is there somebody that you know that has that gift that's sitting on the sidelines? Would you encourage them? And then lastly, I want to invite you to consider supporting. We have this wonderful scholarship. This year, we're giving away $50,000, the Donald F. Hinchy Scholarship for Church Workers. We want to increase that endowment so that we can live off the interest. And if you've got the gifts and you've got the passion, would you consider giving to this fund today? There's a little envelope in the back of your pews. You can uh, fill that out. You can give a gift online. And you don't have to. This is not obligation. But, but these are just three simple ways. Can you pray? Can you encourage can you support so that we can together as ordinary people help others know and share extraordinary life in Christ in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen